Grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Pastor Dave, very first one in the Old Testament. Easy to find. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. I know this is that time of year when uh, preachers deliver a Christmas sermon, and this is going to be a Christmas sermon, but we're going to get there kind of an indirect route. We're going to see a picture of Christmas, a picture of Christ in an unlikely and unusual place. Now, I, I love Christmas. I love this time of year. I hate snow and I hate the cold, but I do love the music. And I love that you can go into Target right now and hear worship music. They have no clue what they're even playing in there, but it's wonderful. And this morning, I listened as Pastor Tony got up and started to half preach my message, and I almost had to jump up and stop him. But he used a word that we use a lot this time of year, this word called worship. Somebody say worship. Worship. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm here to worship. Now look at the other neighbor that you don't like as much that you tried to ignore and say, I'm still here to worship. Hey, we use, we use this word worship all of the time. And it's that time of year when the Christers are about to show up next week. You know, the Christians who only show up to church on Christmas and Easter, they're coming next week and they are here to worship. Oh, they're going to talk about how much they love to worship. We use this word worship. In fact, in the United States, we talk about going to worship and a worship experience or a worship service. But here in Genesis chapter 22, I want us to ask the question, first of all, what is worship? And so the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 22, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. Am. Somebody say, I am. am. That's going to be important in just a minute. We'll come back to it. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but if I didn't know where I was going, I wouldn't be getting up early in the morning. I don't like mornings, and I don't really like people, but I especially don't like morning people. They're the worst. I didn't have Starbucks this morning, so like it's just now that I'm starting to fellowship with me, much less some of you. But he gets up early in the morning nonetheless. He saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for a burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, somebody say third day. Abraham lift up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and... Oh, interesting. Now, there are some Bible scholars that talk about the law of first mention. What that means is most often in Scripture, when you find a word mentioned for the very first time, it will lay the defining context for what it will mean every following instance in Scripture. And it's interesting to me that right here in Genesis 22, we have several first mentions. This is the first time in all of Scripture that the word love is used. And how interesting that the first time, the very defining instance of this concept of love would be used in the context of a father and a son. A father and his child. But then this is also the very first time that we find the word worship. He says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And then he makes a very bold statement. He says, and come again to you. 
He said, we're going to go and worship. You two stay here. We're going to go worship and we're going to come back. Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12 talks about how Abram believed, even though he hadn't seen God do this, he hadn't experienced this, he believed that God would either keep him from slaying his son or that God would raise him from the dead. What an incredible amount of faith to be able to say, having not even seen this type of a miracle, if God promised me this son, God is going to keep his promise. Because I know one thing for sure, more than anything else I know this morning, is that God always keeps his promises. He says, we're going to go and worship and we're going to come back. And we ask the question, what is worship? Well, I, I see, first of all, that there is an exactness to worship, Because watch what he does in verse 6. Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abram said, My son, God will provide. What's the next word? Now, this is why it's so important to study your Bible and not just scan it. Because if your Bible says God will provide for himself, that means that God could have provided anything. But scripture doesn't just say that God would provide for himself a lamb. The Bible says God would provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham continues on. They went both of them together. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abram built an altar there. He laid the wood in order, exactly where it should go, in a precise way, in a particular manner. He lays the wood in order. He laid his son Isaac upon the altar, and Abram stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. There's an exactness to worship. There's a particular way that we worship. You know, worship comes from a Hebrew or Greek word that is called prosculio. You divide that in half. That first word pros means prostrate, to, to lay in an attitude of respect. But that word culio literally translated means to blow kisses or to experience intimacy. Worship means that we experience an intimate relationship with God the Father. We experience his love through a bowing down or a sacrificing of. Because today we talk about worship and we refer, especially during this season, to worshiping Jesus and worshiping the King. And we talk about buildings and programs and services and songs. But worship is so much more to that. It's something very particular. It's something very exact. He says to him, take your only son and go offer him to me. I had someone ask not too long ago, why in the world did God say, take your only son, knowing that just in the previous couple of chapters, Abraham has experienced out of his disobedience the birth of a son named Ishmael. Why would God, knowing that Ishmael was Abraham's son, say now to him, take your only son? First of all, it's going to be a picture of Christ. But second of all, I'm so grateful that I serve a God who doesn't remember my Ishmael's against me. I'm so grateful that I serve a God who doesn't hold up all of my past mistakes and remember them against me all of the time, aren't you? He said, take your only son and go worship. You're going to go to a particular place. You're going to do things in a particular order. You say, well, I I want that intimacy, I want that prosculio, that worship of God, so how do I worship in this exact way? Well, there's the essence of worship. 
The Bible says in John chapter 24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, there is only one type of worship that God recognizes. Now, this is the tricky part where the evangelist can say this, but the pastor doesn't always. It doesn't matter if it's traditional or contemporary or old or new or has a certain instrument or doesn't one or the other. God does not recognize any of those things in regard to worship. He says, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So if a song is spirit-filled and doctrinally correct, God honors it as worship. So it could be old, it could be new, but if it has both of those elements, God sees it as worship. When we worship him through our actions and through our lives and through our giving, if we do it in a spirit-filled way that is filled with the truth of God's word, God recognizes it as worship. It doesn't matter if it's your favorite flavor or not, because it's not about you. It's not about me. Look at your neighbor say, it's not about you. Uh, it's difficult because some of it, now some of the wives looked at their husbands and made that really clear. It's not about you. <laughs> but listen, don't we ever come to church, especially during the consumerized, secularized Christmas time, and talk about I want to receive my Christmas gifts, and when I go to church, I just want to be fed. When I go to church, I just want them to do the, the type of songs that I like. I want Pastor Tony to preach the type of messages that I like, the short ones. I want for them to do the kids' ministry that I like and for them to have the chairs that I like and to have the lights that I like. And we talk about I, but listen, the essence of worship is not what you get, but what you get to give. Christmas is not about what you get to receive. This Christmas season is about what you get to give, and that thing is worship. There's an exactness, there's the essence of it, but the experience of worship is this. This is so cool. Over in the book of Hebrews, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, the Bible says, Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he, or Abraham, received him in a figure. Now, when I woke up this morning, I looked in a mirror, I received myself in a figure. What I saw in the glass was a reflection of me, but it did not exist in and of itself as another version of me. Does that make sense to you? I'm here, but what I see in that glass is a reflection of who I am. I received myself in a figure. The Bible says that Abram, on this mountain of worship, received God, Christ, in a figure. How, how did that happen? Well, watch this. They came to the place in verse 9. And then in verse 10, Abram stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I, I want to pause just for a second and, and kind of rabbit trail for a moment. A lot of times, did anybody ever have one of those picture Bibles? You ever had one of those? Had, had the zipper around it? And I was, I'm a fourth generation preacher's kid and my family, that just means I'm four times as messed up as y'all. And <laughs> They, they gave me one of those picture Bibles, and so like every good preacher's kid, I didn't listen to any of the sermons, I would just look at the pictures. We base a lot of our theology off of these pictures that we've seen, or the movies that we've watched. Uh, like Jesus was not the white-haired, uh, or uh, white-faced European hippie dude that we see on all of the pictures. He didn't look anything like me and you. There's a picture that we uh, looked at in that Bible, it's David and Goliath, and we saw uh, David was standing there in, in a, a white miniskirt. And he had, he had some sandals that were laced up. 
And there on his side, he had his purse, his man purse. And like in the picture, you see the sling and then you see Goliath kind of falling back like this. But the Bible says that Goliath fell forward. The only way that could have happened is if God was standing behind him and he said, lay down, you know. But we saw that picture and so we think, oh, okay, and we miss what the Bible actually says. We saw the picture of Daniel in the lion's den where Daniel is propped up against the lion like it's a lazy boy. You remember seeing that? I promise you that did not happen. Daniel fasted and prayed all night long. God, please don't let them eat me. He wasn't falling asleep, cozying up with the lions like they were stuffed animals at Disney World, okay? But we see these pictures, and, and, and that's what we think. There's a picture of this in my picture Bible, where we see Abraham up with his knife in the air, and he's getting ready to come down and stab his son. Okay, first of all, that's not how they did a sacrifice. And the scripture says he took the knife to slay his son. The only way he could take the knife, like the picture said, is if the knife was floating up here. He had the knife in a satchel or maybe on his side. Why point that out? Because maybe you're new to church this morning. Maybe you're coming back to Christ and so you're, you're checking out this Christianity thing for the first time or uh, for the first time in a while. And you were told by some well-intentioned Christian that if you surrendered to God, he was going to make you go to this awful extreme and give up everything for him. I know this because I was raised in that. I was preached at me. I was scared to surrender to the ministry because I thought God was going to make me go to Africa. Because that's what they told me. If you tell God no, that's what he's going to make you do. So I started immediately praying, God, please don't make me a millionaire. God, please. (laughs) I'm here to tell you that philosophy is not true. It hasn't held up one bit. But we picture this extreme where Abram is getting ready to come down and kill his son. But God wasn't interested in that. God was interested in seeing an act of obedience, an act of submission. Because we read there at the beginning, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. But in this Old Testament time in history, you didn't use those words in that order unless you were referring to the I am. To say, here I am, was to take the name of the Lord in vain. And so by doing this, Abram has everything that God had promised him. He has his son. He has all of the land. He has all of the possessions. And so when God comes to him, Abram says, here I am. I have everything that I need. And it's right in that moment when we get comfortable that God comes to us and starts to stir us and to poke at us a little bit to see if we love the person who gave the blessing more than the blessing itself. Right about the time that you start to feel content and happy like you have everything that you need is the time when you start to forget God. And so God will come and he'll kind of tap on that and touch on that a little bit to see if you're willing to take the thing that you love and sacrifice it to the one that you love more than anything else. He said, here I am. But now in this moment, God said, if you're gonna claim the name I am, I'm gonna ask you to do something that I am will eventually do. Take your only son and go offer him for a sacrifice. And now, not at the extreme, but just at the willful act of obedience, he took the knife. And watch what God says. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Now anytime in scripture you find a name used two times in a row like this, Abraham, Abraham, it always represents a covenant that had previously been made. 
In other words, in two words, God reminds Abraham of the promise that he had made him, that out of this son would his seed be called. He says, Abraham, Abraham, don't forget, this is the promise I've made. And Abram said, here am I. You notice the switch? But here's where the Christmas part comes in. This is so neat. In verse 12, he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lift up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. I saw that behind him. So I pulled out my Bible map and I called my dad just to make sure that I was, you know, right looking at all of this because he, you know, he's good at all the maps and I failed that in school. So I said, why would God put behind him in this scripture? He pointed out to me that in Jewish culture, they had to build their altar facing east. Now, they didn't have magnetic east like you and I. They built their altar facing the sunrise. And so here on Mount Moriah, where he's built this altar, facing the rising of the sun, he looked and behold, behind him, there was a ram caught in a thicket. Now, Isaiah tells us that this thicket is of briars and thorns. So in other words... The replacement sacrifice had its head caught in the thorns. And that's, that's way better than some of you are responding. The replacement sacrifice with its head caught in the thorns. Right behind the altar, directly facing west. And if you take a ruler and you take a pencil and you draw a line from the sun through Mount Moriah directly across, about one mile's view in the distance, clearly seen from the top of Mount Moriah, is another mountain. The Bible says in the next verse, Abram lift up his eyes. Verse 14, he called the place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. That's future tense. From the sun, through the altar, through the ram with its head in the thorns, he looked. And behind him was another mountain, and that mountain is called Calvary. And he said, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be one day seen. Hebrews says that he received Christ in a figure. And so I have a question for you this morning. When you look back, can you see God? When you look back over all the things that God has brought you through and all the places that you've been through the seasons that you've encountered just in 2017, can you see the hand of God always at work? Because this morning, during this Christmas season, we're celebrating more than just presents, we're celebrating the presence of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating that he was born of a virgin into a manger in Bethlehem so that he could one day die for my sins and for yours. But he didn't stay there. He rose again so that he might ever intercede for me and for you. Christmas, the reason for the season is Jesus Christ, but it's because of my sin that he came. And so when I look at the altar of my worship, not the altar of my preference, not the altar of my favorite flavor, not the altar of what I like or what I love, but the altar of worship to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the God that I love more than anything else, I can 
trace through my worship and through my sacrifice all the way back to a mountain where Jesus died so that you and I wouldn't have to. I can trace my worship all the way back to the place where it all began, where Jesus Christ would give his life so that you and I might have one. And so you're in the room this morning and you came because someone invited you to hear the music. You say, well, I've had a church experience or I've, I've heard a lot of songs this season about this Jesus. I, I wanna ask you a question. How in the world could you have made it this far if it were not for Jesus? When you look back, can you see God? I know that the answer for the believers in the room this morning is a resounding yes. And having looked back at all the times that God has provided, I believe we can look forward into 2018 to beyond more than we could ask or think. Knowing that the past is a promise that will always have everything that we need. I know that as we look into 2018, we're going to see that Fellowship Baptist Church is going to be called into a season of worship. It's going to mean stepping out of our comfort zone. It's going to mean stepping away from the things that we like so that we can give him the things that he likes. It's going to mean sacrificing the altar of our preference for the altar of worship because it's through our worship that we will experience him in a figure. It's through our worship that we will experience the presence of Jesus Christ. And some of you in the room this morning can remember a time when revival was present in the United States. Some of you can remember a time when revival meetings used to go for weeks and weeks as thousands came to know Jesus. Some of you can remember a time where you came to a church service when God moved in such an unusual way that maybe the preacher didn't even get to preach because God's people's hearts were so in tune in worship that God began to move without the speaking of even one word. Some of you remember that. But can I ask you this morning as you look back, can you turn back around and look forward and say, when was the last time? How long has it been since I experienced that? It's through our worship that we experience him. And if you want to experience Jesus this Christmas, we have to understand the exactness and the essence and the experience of worship. This Christmas season is all about worshiping him. That's our ultimate purpose. So as Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice without complaining, and just as Abraham loved his son, but he loved God more that he was willing to sacrifice him, it's through that that they saw Christ, they experienced Christ, and they celebrated, I believe, the very first pre-Christmas. How did they do that? Through worship. 